Hi, I'm Hannah, Gallery Manager at Fendit and Gallery. As lockdown continues, we're constantly on the lookout for ways to bring you interesting news and stories from our artists and makers. This week, I had a chat with former Head of Photography at Central St Martins, Graham Murrell, whose sensitive recording of the resilience of County Mayo Island is the third and final exhibition of our inaugural Festival of Photography. Here, we spoke about his early transition from ceramics to photography, his thoughts on the importance of black and white photography in the contemporary art world, and his next projects when he can finally get out and about with his camera again. I hope you enjoy it and please do visit fenditongallery.com to view the virtual black and white photography exhibitions on display. Thank you. Do you want to tell us a bit about your background, how or why you became a photographer? Pure pragmatism. Because <laughs> in the olden days when I started in art school, there were two routes, commercial art, fine art. I didn't want to do commercial art and if you did fine art, you inevitably went into teaching. And I like the idea of teaching because of the long holidays. As soon as I got to, to the art school itself, I realised that where I'd prefer to teach would be an art school rather than a secondary school. And so I was doing ceramics and fine art. Fine art was my main subject and then ceramics at secondary. And I wasn't any good at fine... Well, I was OK at fine art, but I was never going to be brilliant. And I was better at ceramics. So I thought, right, I'll major on ceramics. And then halfway through that course, our staff changed and the person that came to teach us had won the Queensbury Award in, in ceramics from the Royal College, i.e. the best student there. And the only teaching he could get was half a day in a comprehensive school and maternity leave cover for his sister, who was our ceramics tutor. And at the same time, uh, basic design came in place of the thing that we were doing, which was an initial course, intermediate, and then NDD. And they were shutting down craft departments right down the country. And so the chances of getting to work a job in ceramics, in an arts, were getting more and more scarce by the day. And I happened to have a tutor who'd just been off and done a course in photography at Guildford, which was the only college for creative photography you like in the country. And he came back and he said to me, if you want to work in an art school, mate, you should do photography because they're opening up departments all over the country. And the only people that are applying are either ex-forces or ex-high street. None of them have got an art bone in their body. So I thought, ooh. And at the time, he bought a house which had this huge building at the end, which had been a studio. And I used to go and help him build the interior because it was a great big, vast space. And it's my first encounter with photography. And so I started to, and I'd never really taken a picture before. And I suddenly thought, hang on, this is, this is actually quite interesting. I quite like this. And if you think about the transition from ceramics to photography, it's not such a huge leap in the end, because with ceramics, you're dealing with earth, fire and water, ultimately over which humankind has very little control and your raw material in photography is light. So um, you're, learning to do, you're learning to deal with those kinds of natural materials, and no matter how good a potter you are, in the end, the clay rules. Likewise, you have to learn to understand light, and also both media have to do with considerable mechanical intervention. With ceramics, you've got the wheel, you've got the kiln, you've got all of those things. With photography, you've got the equipment, you've got the camera. And um, despite that mechanical intervention, 
both media are capable of considerable emotional input and content. You know, photo, there are photographs by people like W. Eugene Smith that just make you weep almost, they're so powerful. And ceramics have this real way of kind of exposing the, the person who's making them. It's a simplistic thing, but people that were kind of introverted and internal looking would make pots with little tight tops and people that were more open and that would make, you know, and it was that, that kind of thing. So the, there was a very strong link between the two media. Fantastic. It was natural. Yes, yeah, brilliant. Um, so why do you think that black and white analogue photography is an important medium? For me, I like it because the way I put it is that when you photograph with film, first of all you see a situation and then you react to it and you select the process that you're going to go through in making the recording of that which you've just seen. You choose the film and when you choose the film you're thinking about the way you're going to develop it and when you're thinking about the way you're going to develop it you're thinking about the kind of material that it's going on, the sort of paper you're going to use and then you have an idea in the back of your mind where that's going to be used. It might be editorial, it might be advertising, it might just be for your own purpose. So at each of those stages, none of them are separate from the other, they're interlinked. And what happens is there's a period of gestation between the making of the image in the camera and then the uh, time span between then and developing the film. And you develop the film with the knowledge of how you exposed it in the first place. Then there's another time span between developing the film and making the contact print. And then there's another span of time between the contact print and electing to choose the one to make a print from. So the whole end product has a period of gestation, which I think is important. Whereas with digital, although it's a totally different medium and it's immediate and there isn't that time span. And I think that work evolves in that way and for me that's how I prefer to work with it. Also having done five years of painting which entails standing in front of a blank piece of canvas and the whole thing, you work slowly. I used to shoot perhaps a roll, a roll and a half on a garment whereas the usual thing with fashion is you just fire like it's a machine gun and, and it's because I've always worked slowly i.e. when painting then that's how I work with the camera. And also it's frugal too. It means you don't shoot so much material. Yes, definitely. You've talked a bit about your process and the stages of how you might get to the final image, but you know your framing is very important within that as well. So can you sort of talk us through maybe your selection process? Or... Um, what I can't do now, having done photographs for all these years, is go out with my camera looking for photographs or taking photographs in the way that I might be picking blackberries. In that if you find a, a bush with a lot of nice blackberries on it, you get a nice, but it's, you know, it's that way of working. I like to have a purpose for making the pictures, which is why I tend to work in terms of projects. And they're self-imposed projects, sometimes they're invited projects. Places like Roche Court, I was invited to make photographs to celebrate the fact that they'd been established there for 10 years or so. So it's a, making photographs about the place. And also, when I hit start on that, I like to have some sense of where I'm going by finding a word that I can hook things onto. And this series that 
in County Mayo. I thought about it for quite a while and the word that came up was resilience because it appeared to me that despite all the deprivation that that area of Ireland had had over the years through religious persecution, through hunger, famine and all of that side of things, there was a terrific spirit there and so resilience seemed to be the right word. So I then looked for situations which for me spoke about resilience and the first thing I did was go to several abbeys, friaries, which had long since lost their roofs. And when you went into them, you felt a sense of the place, the volume of the place, even though there, were very, there was very little of it left. But then when I looked really closely at it, you could see that they'd been maintained. And so they, they hadn't resisted the passage of time quite in the same way because they'd been assisted by the local council maintaining them. A bit like you enter a room with a bunch of people at a party or something and you see a lady for instance who looks rather glamorous and then you get closer and you realize that she's spent a few bob on the plastic surgeon and to me the the the, the abbeys had that feeling they, they they looked like they'd been helped along and then I encountered the um, the harbors which hosted perhaps one or two little fishing boats and they stuck out into the Atlantic and they resisted all that the Atlantic was throwing at them. And so that became the gist of how I made the work. I suppose the next thing that, that we're sort of thinking about at the gallery is, is actually how um, analogue photography and in particular black and white photography stands in today's you know, creative world and, and the art community. I think it will find its place and I think what will happen is that the, the, there is a there is this tendency to think that digital good, analogue bad, analogue good, digital bad. It's not that at all, they're totally different media. And what will happen, I think, with analogue photography and wet process and traditional processes, it'll, it'll, it'll assume the role that etching and lithography have had over the years. It's a different material, it's a different product. And I think it will be seen for that purpose. Alone. And digital has a place because it's so immediate. I mean, if I have to photograph stuff for potters now, I do it on a digital camera because I can email them the results within hours. Whereas in the olden days, I used to have to take A6 film processing tape. And the quickest I ever got A6 done was 58 minutes, but usually it was an hour and a half or half a day. And now you can just, and I, I'm totally amazed at how I see photographers working with their cameras linked to, to um, laptops and the like and the images are coming up straight away and, and that, that's another interesting thing about it really because um, in the old days, I keep saying in the olden days, that's because I'm so old, but uh, you took the photograph and you knew what was going on, now you've got a committee of people around you, there's the art director, the stylist, the this and the that and they're all looking at this screen and all making contribution, it becomes a much more corporate event, really. So the other thing with I've found with digital, and when I've been to look at exhibitions by mostly camera clubs, it has to be said, photographs are often captioned, there was no manipulation on Photoshop in this image. And you think, you don't need to say that, because digital imagery, part of its quality is the fact that it can be manipulated in Photoshop. So it's a bit like saying 
this oil painting was only made with a number four Hogair brush. No smaller brushes were used, you know. Why say that? You don't need to say it, it's what it is. And, 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 and Photoshop, if, you, if you're going to make digital work, then you inevitably use Photoshop because it's, it's another brush. That's a very interesting Make way of looking with. at it because a lot of, you know, it's when I'm doing a lot of the um, Instagram work for the gallery, for example, mm. if you put up a picture, you know, you might use that hashtag no filter. And, you know, you've, it's very similar. Yes. You're sort of justifying that actually, well, no, I've taken this digitally, but I haven't done anything to it. It's exactly as it was when I took so, it and blah, blah, blah. And this way of kind of justifying your decision to edit it or to not edit it yes. I suppose is, which is your creative decision but you're right you can do it so why wouldn't you it's part of the that? armory that you have yeah. for image making and um, and if you if you're good at it you're good at it and the other thing is it's purely I think there's also the sensory pleasure of working in the trays and making it. and the other key things I think that um it's a very good way of understanding how imagery is created. Because if you, you know, when with, with the, the children have been into the dark room downstairs and I've got them to put their hand on a piece of photographic paper and then we've shone a light on it. And immediately you can see the, pro, the photographic process, you know. Whereas with digital, you don't get that sense of what's happening, I don't think because it happens, and you look at the back of the camera and there it is. And there's no real indication of how it happens. I, I once had a student, an evening class student, who was a textile designer and very visually alert and aware. And she decided she wanted to take photographs. So she, I was doing the basic introduction was, this is the camera, there's a lens here, it's got an aperture, it's got a shutter. The aperture lets the volume of light through and the shutter controls the duration, and she, and she said, excuse me, my camera doesn't have either of those. And I said, sorry, what camera have you got? And she said, I've got a Minolton Dynax 9000. This is a film camera, of course. And I said, well, it's got to have a shutter. It's got to have an aperture. You know, how on earth is the image created? And she said, oh, well, the man in the shop said, what you do is you set it on to P and it makes the picture. <laughs> and of course, She'd gone in and said, I want, to, I want a camera to take photographs for my textile designs. I don't know anything about photography. And he said, oh, what you want, madam, is this, which is the most expensive Minolta in the range. And all you have to do here is set it on P and it makes the picture. And so she had no concept of light falling on light sensitive material and the duration of the exposure or anything like that. Whereas if you go through the analog process, that's inevitable, you can't avoid it. So you understand how light works. Yeah. And I think half of the problem in making photographs is understanding and reading light. I'll stop there, I could go on and on. I've got one more question that, I, that was on my list. Which I may I'm... not be able to answer, about lockdown. Yeah, so I was just gonna say, you know, is there anything that you've particularly created or responded to, you know, being in isolation or lockdown or? No, it hasn't affected the photographic activity at all. Interestingly, last week or the week before's Observer had a series of photographers, uh, they were invited to put, show pictures that they'd made in response to lockdown. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And Alice, who was one of my students, Alice Tomlinson, 
who won the photography award, uh, the, the Sony. Uh, she won the World Photography Awards. Um, she said, I've, spoke, I've been in touch with her recently, and she said she went out and she photographed um, people in their houses at dusk. You know. um, so, I'm, so what I've been doing is just planning the next project, which I would like to get started on as soon as, um, as, soon as we're free to move again. So I suppose it's, it's given you sort of some time to maybe reflect on actually where, you know, the direction or the next thing that you want to, um, you want to do, rather than actually sort of creating here and now. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tend not to respond directly to situations in that, in that way. I, I kind of have ideas. The, the work I did with Westine College was remarkable and it that was such a rewarding place to work. There was a real sense of warmth and um, and uh, welcoming hospitality there and I thought I'd like to do something else there again because it, I did it to raise funds for the glass houses and we did really well and we raised £7,300 for them which cost us a few bob to do, but equally, it cost me no more over two years than it would have cost a painter to buy canvas and paint. And yet, you get this great experience out of doing it. Yeah. And I've got another idea for working there, so that's, oh, that, that's going off in my head now. Yeah. Um, and then when I last went to Roche Court, or recently went to Roche Court, it was mooted there that perhaps it was time I went back and did some more work there. Which I'd love to do because they've got a new building which they that they've just opened, and it's it's my kind of space. It's a modern house. So it's good that you'll extension. be able to start by going a bit further afield than than the sort of couple of minutes that we've been allowed to in the last few months. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also Roche Court. When I did the Roche Court project in what was that two thousand and two three. Um, I had a 200 mile journey to get to it and a 200 mile journey back um, which was actually quite useful because it gave you that long kind of thinking time and that was that was also interesting because that, that kicked off the silence project which I did at Oldborough Music um, because we'd been, we'd been approached by them for funds like as you do as friends of any organisation they're looking for funds and having always been in teaching, we obviously couldn't write a big fat cheque. And while I was down at Roche Court, I used to stay there sometimes, one or two nights, um, I'd read an article on um, John Pawson, the architect, who was a minimalist architect. And in that article, he quoted Lewis Kahn, the American, highly influential American architect. And his quote was, silence with its desire to be and light, the giver of all presences. And I thought, that's really interesting, light, that's, that's what photographers are about, you know, light, the giver of all presences. And silence hit my head, and while I'd been working there and showing people the photographs I was making, they all said, the most frequent comment was, um, oh, your pictures got such a wonderful sense of calm about them, the sort of, and I thought, actually, the extension of calm is silence. I wonder if you can photograph silence. Not in the kind of literal way of, you know, something which has got a bit missing so it wouldn't make a noise, that kind of picture. 
But I wondered about that, and then of course it hit me like a bolt from the blue. Where better to try and photograph silence in a place other than in a place that's dedicated to sound? So I wrote to the director of Olba Music, and I said I've got this idea, and whilst we can't send you a cheque for the new Hoffman Building Fund, I'm happy to put on an exhibition, and anything that sells, the profit will go to the fund. And he wrote back and said, sounds like a great idea, come and help yourself. So I had this 18-month period where I just went to Olber Music, to Snake Maltings, and worked. And as I started to make the photographs, um, it became quite obvious that silence didn't exist. Because no matter where you are, you, there's something going on. And so the photographs gradually evolved and they became more like um, metaphors for sound than silence in a way, which is kind of like a reverse of that. Because music in effect is only silence broken up by bits of noise, which musicians don't like one saying, but it's true. Um, and I took one photograph which was down some steps and there was a, a, a railing going down the centre. And as I took, as I was looking through the camera, I was thinking jazz. And with jazz, you get this thing called call and response, where one player will play something and then the rest of the band will respond. And I looked at this, and the way the steps went down, and then the way the shadow of the building was created by the other side of the steps was almost like this call and response thing. Um, and I was absolutely thrilled when I showed them to Michael Harrison, who was then the director of Petal's Yard and asked him if he'd write an essay to accompany the, the uh, exhibition. And he highlighted on that picture, but I hadn't said anything to him about the photographs. And he said, and here we have a photograph looking down some steps, which uh, he said it quite eloquently, but what he was saying was, look to him like a, a musical score waiting to be played. And I thought, perfect, That's, he's picked it up, you know. It's, and so, so you set off with an idea the word silence and it what you mustn't do is then look for literal interpretations of the word science but it must just be the hook that you hang the idea on and then the you must allow the idea to evolve and if it takes you off in a different direction then that's the direction that you follow but it's it's the way that it works which is the way i make everything i yeah. think Thank you for listening to this interview with Graham Murrell and to Graham for his time too. It was a delight to talk to him and gain insight into his creative processes and practices whilst hearing a few anecdotes along the way too. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this first interview in what we hope will become an ongoing feature for the gallery. And don't forget to visit fenditongallery.com to view Graham's exhibition of photographs from his time in County Mayo.